I wonder if anyone in the room is a Formula One fan. Any takers? Yes, hands up at the back, good. Some takers. Formula One, right? Lewis Hamilton. Here he is. He was competing today uh, in Brazil. He's still got a race to go in Abu Dhabi. Um, But actually, two weeks ago in Mexico, Lewis Hamilton was crowned the champion. The Formula One champion for the 2017 season. Already crowned. Two races to go as of this morning, but already crowned champion. And as he crossed the finish line in Mexico, he was welcomed over the line with great celebration, great adulation for the newly crowned champion. And the world's media began to have their say. Lewis Hamilton, surely the greatest British racing driver of all time. Four times world champion. Maybe even possibly in the question, in the, in the conversation as to the greatest racing driver of all time. Top five, top three, maybe one day the greatest ever. Lewis Hamilton, Formula One. Well, as we come to our passage this evening in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we meet a man, a man called Paul, who is finishing a very different race. Paul is about to finish the race of life. He's weeks, if not days away from the end of his life. And as he crosses the finishing line of life, there's no fanfare for Paul. There's no endorsement deals. There's no media attention. And yet Paul has achieved something far more significant than Lewis Hamilton. Paul is ending his life successfully. Not in the eyes of the watching media, but in the eyes of God himself. He has lived his life with enduring loyalty to the gospel. And so the words that are contained in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy are his final words. Some of the final words of his life. And so we have the privilege this evening to listen in to Paul as he speaks to his protege, Timothy. And he gives him his final rallying cry, his final message, the final thing he wants young Timothy to hear. You read it at the end of verse 1. He calls it his charge. I give you this charge, Timothy. So what is it? What is it that Paul would have say to Timothy? What is it that Paul would have say to us this evening as his final message? His final rallying cry. His final charge. Well, that brings us to our first point. The what. What is this rallying cry? Well, in verse 2, you'll read it. Preach the word. That's the what. That is Paul's charge to Timothy. Preach the word. Timothy, that's your job description. That is your soul focus from here on out. Preach the word. Now, Timothy would have known straight away what Paul's talking about. It echoes back to last week when we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in verses 14 to 16, it talks about what this word is. Timothy, you know this word. You've learned it and have become convinced of it. From infancy, you've known it. You know that it's able to make you wise for salvation. You know that it's God-breathed. You know that it's useful to equip you for every good work. That's the word I'm talking about. The word of God. 
scripture, the gospel. And Timothy's responsibility is not just to hear the word himself and believe it. Not just to guard it and entrust it to other people. Not just to continue in it as we looked at last week. But he's to preach it to others. That's Paul's charge to Timothy. To preach it to others. To speak to others God's very word. The words that God has spoken. Not to preach his own ideas, his own thoughts, his own opinions. But he's called to preach the word of God. To hold out the word of God to the world around him. Without fear and with confidence. So if this is Paul's charge to Timothy, I guess the context of that charge is, well, who is Timothy? Helps us to understand what it means by thinking about who Timothy is. Timothy was a pastor. A pastor in a church in Ephesus. So you might rightly ask the question, okay, fair enough. That might apply to Mark. That might apply to Wellesley, preach the word. That might apply to Neil. There he is, right? If Paul was here today, he'd be picking these three guys out and say, here's my charge to you three. Preach the word as a leader, as a teacher within a church context. How does it apply to me? How does it apply to you as not someone who is a a pastor or a church leader within a church, but just an everyday person living a life for Jesus? How does it apply for you and me? Well, I think firstly, here's how it applies. Because it shows us the importance of the most important thing God wants to hear and see in the life of his people. Because as we listen into Paul's charge to Timothy, we actually hear God's heart for you as a Christian. He's saying, listener on to this charge to Timothy, do you hear what I want most for you? I want you to come under the sound of sound preaching and teaching. What you need more than anything else, listener, is to come under the authority of Scripture, to have it preached to you. To have it explained to you, to have it applied to your life so that you can listen and obey. That, as we listen on to Paul's charter, Timothy, we hear God's heart for us. The most important thing, one of the most important things that God wants for you is to come under the sound of his word. God wants to speak to you. God wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to transform you. And the primary way that he does that is by you coming under the sound of his word. So the question I want to ask is, do you long for that? Do you long for God's heart for you to come under the sound of the gospel? Do you take every opportunity within a church context to put yourselves in position to come under the sound of the preaching of God's word? Are you thankful? Are you thankful the church that you're part of, that we have pastors in this church that are faithful to the gospel, that preach it clearly and faithfully? Will you pray for them that they'll continue to do so? As Paul charges Timothy here, he charges our pastors here as well. So will we pray for them? Are we thankful for them? That's one way it applies to us. We hear God's heart for us. But the other way it applies is that it does apply in some way to us directly. We are all called in some way, shape or form to preach the word. Now, it may not be that you stand at the school gate or in the office staff meeting and say, ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention please and start on a three-point sermon with all the points matching. 
in terms of the first letter, right? That might not be you if it is fair play, but that might not be the reality for everyone in that room. That's not what this is talking about. For some, it may be. But what it is talking about, the point that Paul is making to everyone, is that we're all called by God to say something. We're all called by God to say something of the hope that lies within us. Now, hopefully, Paul doesn't just stop there. Because my question, if it's anything like you, is what on earth does that look like? Right? Okay. It's my responsibility to say something. But what does it look like? What does it look like for me in my life, in the day-to-day, to say something of the hope that I have? Well, Paul, helpfully picks out three things in the next in the in the remainder of the verse to unpack a little bit as to what it could look like for me and you to say something to preach the word in our everyday situation and you notice the first one there be prepared in season and out of season now it might be helpful to understand this concept by thinking in terms of a sporting analogy I couldn't help myself. I'm a sports person. I had to go down the sporting route. I've done it already with Lewis Hamilton, and I'm going there again. Okay? As a sports person, okay, you'll know the concept of the off-season and during the season, right? During the season, you play matches, you're fit as a fiddle, but then comes the off-season. The temptation is to ease off a little bit, right? Your training gets a little bit slack. Your diet gets a little bit loose, right? And there's a clear difference between during the season in season and the off season, out of season. A good example of this might be a famous boxer, uh, Ricky Hatton, right? A few years back, he was a famous boxer from Manchester. And during the times in his career when he was due to fight, you'll see him there, he was in peak physical condition, absolutely ripped, right? But Ricky Hatton was famous for, what, for a few things. He was a good fighter, but he was also famous for one thing in particular, when he wasn't due to fight, that's what he looked like, right? He let loose. He wasn't in training anymore. He ate what he wanted. He didn't really care. He put on loads of weight. And there's a clear difference between in season and out of season for Ricky Hatton, right? And the temptation might be there for us to treat preaching the word, saying something in a similar way as Ricky Hatton does here. I guess the point Paul is making in the phrase, be prepared in season and out of season, is this. Be ready, Timothy. Be ready, Long Crendon Baptist Church, to speak the truth of the gospel into the lives of people. Anyone, anywhere, anytime. Be ready to speak the truth of the gospel to anyone, anywhere, Anytime. Whether that's convenient or inconvenient. Whether that's welcome from the listener or unwelcome. Whether that's comfortable or uncomfortable. Be ready. Be match sharp, as it were, all year round. And I think this applies both in a church context and also in the world outside these four walls. So let's start within a church contest. What could it look like to be ready, to be prepared to speak the truth within a church context? At home group, 
when our minds are engaged in God's word compared to after church over a coffee when our minds are engaged on Sunday lunch in season, out of season. Are we ready? Are we prepared to speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters in Christ? To ask the question, how's your relationship with Jesus going? To be prepared to say, you know what, that issue, let's have a look at to see what the Bible has to say about that. Is your first port of call to speak truth into the situation within a church context? What about outside these four walls? Talking about the range here, when we're thinking about a good friend that we've had maybe lots of conversations about who we are and what we believe with a good friend to someone we've met for the first time today, in season, out of season. What does it look like? What does it look like to be prepared to answer the question, what did you do at the weekend? With a conversation about, I went to church and I learned about Jesus and this is what it means for me. What does it look like when someone poses the question, so what is, it, what is all this Christian stuff anyway? Are we ready? Are we prepared to give an answer, to say something? That's the first way Paul helpfully unpacks it a little bit as to what this might look like for us. Secondly, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Now, that suggests that it's not a one-size-fits-all, doesn't it? He uses three different terms to unpack what it might look like in different situations to speak and preach the word. Depending on the situation, you might use a different tact. Someone who might be struggling or having a wrong view of truth, well, you might correct them. Someone who might have fallen into sin, you might rebuke them. Someone who is tired and discouraged, you might encourage them. It'd be wrong to rebuke someone who's tired and discouraged. It'd be wrong to encourage someone who's fallen to sin. Use use the right method, the right strategy for the right situation. So be wise. And it links to our next one. Be patient and careful. Think this through. Careful instruction. Don't just dive in gung-ho. Think it through. Carefully. Intentionally. Thoughtfully. Prayerfully. And be patient. Because if there's one thing that's true about working with people, there'll be frustration, won't there? People can be hard work. But Paul is calling Timothy to be patient, to be in it for the long haul. This is not a short-term work. This is for the long haul. And to be patient in the results as well, knowing that it's not about his power to change, but about God's power by his spirit to transform. Be patient in God and trusting in him in his work. So there we have the what Preach the word, Timothy. That's my charge to you. But thankfully, again, Paul doesn't just stop with giving him the what. The rest of the passage gives Timothy three reasons as to why. Not just preach the word, Timothy, but here are three reasons to help you understand why it's so important that my final words to you are these three things. Preach the word. The why. And the first reason that Paul gives Timothy as to why his charges preach the word is this. And we see in verse one, Jesus is coming. 
verse 1 says this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now these words give Paul's words amazing power and authority, don't they? It's not Paul merely passing on his thoughts or opinions. Paul is, is issuing this charge in the authority and in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. We see that in those verses. But I think the main point that Paul wants to draw out from this verse is the fact that Jesus is coming. The reality of Jesus' return. Paul makes his charge in the certain knowledge that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to do two things. You read them in the verse. Firstly, He's going to judge the living and the dead. And secondly, he will bring his kingdom in. Now, for those who are in Christ on that day, that will be a day of rejoicing and celebration. The king has returned to bring me home. But the reality of the flip side is for those who aren't in Christ, that day will be a terrible day. A day of judgment. So Paul says to Timothy, Jesus is coming. He's coming to bring his kingdom in, but he's coming to judge. And here's the thing, you have the word. You have the scriptures. You have the thing that's able to make people wise for salvation. So preach it. Hold it out as a hope to a lost world. Timothy, preach it. Say something. Now, imagine I was to decide, right, here we're going to play a bit of a challenge, a bit of a game, right? We're going to start with Lisa at the front, right? And we're going to play a game of Chinese whispers, okay? We all know what Chinese whispers is, don't we, right? And the challenge is, from Lisa, I'm going to give Lisa a message, and the message has to go all the way to Matty over there, right? It has to go in and out, every person, passing it from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, all the way to Matthew. And here's the message, okay? Here's the message that I want you to pass from one person to another, The floor is on fire. The only way for you to be saved is to stand on your chair. Okay, got it? We're not actually going to do it. Okay, don't worry, it'll take too long. Okay, here's the message, Lisa, that I want you to pass throughout the room. And Matthew, I want you to end up with it. Okay? Accept the challenge? Good, right. It'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? If Lisa started with the message and it was passed on and on and on and on and on and on and it got to Matthew and he was able to say it perfectly without hesitation, without mistake. The floor is on fire. The only way for you to be rescued is to stand in your chair. But it would be a tragedy if no one was standing on that chair. Right? What's the point of knowing that Jesus is coming back if we're not going to do anything in light of it? What's the point of knowing Jesus is coming without doing anything with that knowledge? Stand in your chair. Preach the word, Timothy. Jesus is coming. He really is coming. And the people of this world really are going to spend eternity in one of two places. You have the hope of salvation in your hands. Say something. Has everyone got the phone on them? Get it out. Phone's out in your bag. Or if you've got a phone next to you, maybe look over someone's shoulder. Right? Phone's out. 
Okay? Get in your contacts list. Right, have a scroll down. Who have we got? Read some names. Barney Moole. Good lad. Caleb Tomes. He's in there. Nice. Chris Adams. Go on, you read it as well in your, in your own head, your own phones. Esther Smythe. Good girl. James Hinsden. Mary Turner. Real people, right? Real people that you know, real people that you love. Jesus is coming. These people are going to meet Jesus face to face one day. Will we hold out the gospel as a means of hope to the lost? Will we hold out the gospel as a means of hope to those that are in Christ that they will continue in Christ till that day when they meet him face to face? Here is the first reason Paul gives Timothy to preach the word. Jesus is coming. Second reason, verse 3 to 5, people are turning. Here's what it says in verse 3. For the time will come when people will not, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, one of the people on my phone, my brother's fiance, is called Bethan. And she might be in a situation to someone similar in this room or people that you know. She's lactose intolerant, right? It's a sugar that you find in milk or dairy products, and it makes you react very bad if you have that substance. You probably know someone or familiar with that kind of thing, intolerant to some kind of food produce. The people that Paul's talking about here aren't lactose intolerant. They're truth intolerant. You see that? Truth intolerant. They cannot bear the truth. They cannot stand the truth. They refuse to listen to the truth. Get it away from me. Get out of my face. I don't want it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Truth intolerant people. And Paul talks about another condition that these truth intolerant people have. It's called itchy ears syndrome. Right? You see it? Itchy ears syndrome. Close your eyes. Audience participation this evening, isn't it? Close your eyes. Right? Imagine. Can you almost feel your ears? Be aware of your ears. Itchy. Keep your eyes closed. I'm not finished yet. Itchy. Oh, it's getting itchier. Itchy, itchy, itchy ears. Oh, it's itchy. What do you want to do? You want to scratch, right? Itchy ears. What do you want to do? You want to scratch your ears. People with itchy ears syndrome want their ears scratched. But here's the problem. People are turning their ears away from being scratched by the truth. Because it's not scratching where they're itching. They want to suit their own desires. You see that language there. They want, they decide what they want to hear. And they put people around them who will tell them what they want. Itchy ear syndrome. Putting people around you that will tell you what you want to hear. And what is it that they want to hear? 
or the people of the world, the people who aren't in Christ, want people to make them feel good about the way they live. They'll start running in the opposite direction as soon as someone begins to speak the truth of the gospel. The gospel that says all mankind is guilty before God and deserves punishment. The gospel that says the only way to be saved is through faith in Christ Jesus. The gospel that confronts sin and convicts sin and challenges sin and calls people to obedience and faith. People run a mile when the gospel comes out. It doesn't itch where they scratch. Or scratch where they itch. So you see why it's so important that Paul warns Timothy about this. If people can't bear the truth, well the danger for Timothy is that he doesn't say anything. He doesn't share the truth. Or he tries to change the truth and give a message that they do want to hear. Something that will scratch their itch. But Paul again reminds Timothy, no, 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 that's not for you, Timothy. Be different. It's a call that he's had before back in chapter 3. Be different. This is what the world's doing. Timothy, you be different. You read it in verse 5. But you... A contrast, but you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. It's a clear contrast. While all people around you are having their heads turned, Timothy, you keep your head. A contrast. Stick to the message of the gospel. Don't trade the truth for a lie. Even though people are going to dislike your message and even make you suffer for your message, what does he call them to do? Endure hardship. Be prepared to suffer on account of the truth, whatever the cost. Even though people are going to seem unreachable and cold to the gospel, don't react, Timothy, by withdrawing from the world and forgetting about the world. No, rather... Do the work of an evangelist. Hold out the gospel truth as a means of hope to a lost world. Make preaching the good news of Jesus your life's task. And a summary of all that, be different. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. You see, in the days of truth and tolerance and itchy ears syndrome, we're not to be discouraged or deterred or tempted to change the message of the gospel, but rather we're to preach it all the more. To preach the gospel to a dying world. So here's the second reason. Preach the word, Timothy. Why? Because people are turning. And finally, the third and final reason Paul gives. Preach the word, Timothy, because Paul, I am leaving. You'll read this as we pick it up in verse Six, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. It's all the more vital for Timothy to continue the work, to continue his ministry of preaching the gospel because Paul's ministry is about to come to an end. He uses this expression of I'm being poured out like a drink offering. You notice that language? This is an Old Testament picture. An Old Testament picture of someone coming to the temple with an offering of wine and pouring it out as an act of worship in the presence of God. 
And that's what Paul likens his life to. Even in death, Paul is using that as an opportunity to worship and glorify God. My life is being poured, poured out, he says, but it's not being poured out in a meaningless way. It's being poured out, poured out as an act of worship. And again, this language of my departure, it's a picture, an image that means loosening or releasing from the shackles. One of the commentators say it's almost a picture of a boat being loose from its moorings and pushed out into the water, freed, released. So Paul's vision and attitude and perspective of his life is he's not moving um, into nothing. He's moving from one journey and one adventure into another. The boat's been pushed off. The anchor's been lifted. The ropes have been untied. And he's leaving to his new destination, his new home, setting sail for another shore. But before he begins this new adventure, he reflects on his 30 years of ministry thus far. And these are his words that we've already had read in our service. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's imagery that is referring back to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, where he talks about the athlete, the farmer, and the soldier. And as we think about those pictures of an athlete and as of a soldier... I guess it poses us the question of the reality is there are many races. There are many fights in life that we can give ourselves over to. The race or the fight for money. The race or the fight for success, for fame, for glory. But Paul has a different attitude and perspective. He's been racing. He's been fighting in obedience to God. He's been racing. He's been fighting for the gospel. And he's reached the end. I finished the race. I fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I've done what I've set out to do. And the only thing that's waiting for him is the prize. Verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, Paul is very aware that in a moment or two, in a matter of hours possibly, an earthly judge is going to sentence him to death. But he knows that there's a greater power than the Roman Empire. There's a greater power than Emperor Nero who would have been passing such a sentence. He knows that an earthly sentence that's given to him now is nothing compared to the evaluation and verdict of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. That's what he has in mind as he leaves this earth, as he crosses the threshold into eternity. He has a perspective of an audience of one. All that matters is how I am viewed in the sight of Jesus. And he's confident He's confident that he will receive the crown of righteousness, the glorious gift of good standing before a holy God for all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. He's not confident because he's earned it, but he's confident because he's already received righteousness by putting his faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And friends, this crown is not just for Paul. You'll see it there. This is a promise for all who have longed for his appearing. What does that mean? It means 
You love him in such a way that you want him. You love him in such a way that you want him. You long for him. You desire him. You treasure him. If that's you, there's a crown waiting for you. As we end, and we reflect on Paul's final words to Timothy, we're reminded that God is the God of history. Throughout the generations, faithful men and women have come and faithful men and women have gone, but God's work has continued through those people. And the gospel baton has been passed from generation to generation to generation, from Paul to Timothy. Paul's leaving, he's passing it on to Timothy. And the challenge for us is will we pick up that baton in our generation? Not leave it to others, but pick it up ourselves by the power and ability and enabling power of the Holy Spirit within us. And continue in the grace of God in running the race and fighting the fight for Jesus. Preach the word, Timothy. Why? Jesus is coming. Preach the word, Timothy. Why? People are turning. Preach the word, Timothy. Why? Paul is leaving. I want to finish by reading a poem. A poem that I think summarizes quite helpfully some of the things we've looked at this evening. It's written by a man called C.T. Studd. He was a famous cricketer and missionary to China. And you'll notice as I read it, a, a refrain that comes again and again and again. So have a listen to this before Mark picks up and we close our time by saying some prayers together in response and reflection. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would evict the score, When self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, please in thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life 
will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I'll know, I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burnt out for thee.